Jesus Christus Spiritus Antria Bratante Yabradabas Kostovrodon Suntereber Yabradabasata Christus Spiritus Ante Ilkriatas Davrushkibeka Reshket Vehisha Mambaradabasadibik de Bradamasante Brahushke. That your spirit might reign in this heart, O Lord, and that your word might come forth in power, and that your name will be exalted, and that the Christ, the risen one who belongs all glory, who belongs to all glory, that that name, that name and that power will flood the hearts and flood the nations and flood the earth. And that they that come to him will know that he alone is God and that his word is true and that his word is light and that his word is forever. The Christ, the living God, the one who is from the beginning, the one whose name is I am that I am. He is the one that reigns in the hearts of those who cry out to the Father in his name. That your name alone, O Father, that might be glorified. Your name, O Father, that it will be glorified. How excellent is your name, Lord, how excellent is your name, how excellent is your name, oh Lord, our God, how excellent. Your name, Lord our God, how excellent is your name. How excellent is your name. Your presence. Lord is worth more than anything and you are our heart's desire that there will be a manifest presence of your word of your truth and of your light father it's all about you it's always been about you and your word and your truth and it will always be about you father about your love, your glory, your truth. That you will never leave us. You have found a resting place in us. And we have found a resting place in you.
Father, you're worthy of all praise, worthy to be magnified. We ask in the name of Jesus that you, Father, would be the one who is seen, heard, the one who is taught, and the one who teaches. Father, we pray that every heart, that anything that blinds, that paralyzes, that it would be lifted from the believer. Your word makes us to understand that when Moses is read, that the veil remains. But your word does say that it is when Christ is taught that there will be revelation. Father, we are praying that revelation comes, that the spirit of light comes, that your strength, your might comes forth. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. 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 Someone shout, God is good. God is good. And someone say, shame to the devil. Someone say, shame to the devil. <laughs> Amen. I would like to honor our pastor, Pastor Kwame, um, as he's in Lynchburg today, um, serving and um, helping with um, some activities down in Lynchburg. Just after the service, please let us reach out to him and express how much he was missed in the service and just show the Shepherd's House love to our pastor. Um, I also like to honor the leadership of the church, our fathers, our mothers, our brothers, our sisters. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And if they are not talking back to you, say, God bless you real good. <laughs> God bless you real good. I do not take this time lightly because anytime we're given an opportunity to share the word, there is a big responsibility. And that responsibility to, is to ensure that Christ is revealed to the believer in truth and in um, Christ is revealed to the believer in reality. That is, we show forth who he is in truth. Do we understand what we're saying? So whenever the word comes forth, it is not really to bring forth a presentation, but to show forth who Christ is. Who Christ is. And starting with um, our brother, Minister Eric, he preached powerfully on the nature and the character of God. And that was his definition of who God was. And then our pastor went further and began to teach us absolute goodness. Absolute goodness. A very powerful message. If you have not listened to it, please go listen to these two messages. It is progressive. It is progressive in doctrine, progressive in truth, and progressive in light. Please do listen to those messages. And in the message that pastor preached, he said that the nature of God that goodness is the nature of God that carries God's treasures which he reveals in the believer. The nature of God that carries God's treasures which he reveals in the believer. Now our core scripture for today is taken from Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be reading from verses 16 to 22. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be reading from verses 16 to 22. And I read. It says, and someone came to him and said, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? 
And he said to them, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So we see in verse 16 that he is asking, what good thing can I do? What good thing can I do? What good thing can I do that I may obtain eternal life? So he was focused on what he could do to earn eternal life. He saw Christ. He saw the works that Christ was doing. He saw this man is bringing a different message. He's bringing something that is unique. How can I get what he has, which is called eternal life? What can I do? What can come out of me to say that I have earned eternal life? So we see here that the question in itself was focused on him. He was pointing the radar on him. What can me, what can I do in my nature to obtain that which is eternal? What can I do in my nature to obtain that which is eternal? And what can I do to earn so that I can brag about what I have done and accomplished? I have gotten this. Now you have to understand that this man was called a rich young ruler. He had wealth, he had youth, and he was, uh, he had authority. So he wasn't just an elderly man that was looking for a time when he was going to give his wealth to someone. He, he hadn't got to that age where he was thinking about legacy. He wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm going to write a will. And my two sons would be the ones that will get the inheritance. Or my five children would be the ones that would take this company from point A to point B. He wasn't thinking about that. This was a man that had years ahead of him. He had youth. He wasn't just young. He was wealthy. Back home, they would say he was boxed up. You know, I don't know whether they still stay that here because I know I cut off. He, he, he got dough. But I don't know. Is that still raining? <laughs> he got dough. <laughs> oh, cheddar. <laughs> Thanks, sir. He got cheddar. He had... Oh, he's, he's old. Oh, that was the 90s. Oh, okay. <laughs> he has bread. Ah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> he got bread. Yeah, the youth. That's why we have them here. <laughs> he has, he knows, he, he, he just did not have bread, but he knows how to spend it because he was young. And it is one thing for you to have money without authority. It is one thing for you to have money without influence. But this guy had influence. So he could go anywhere, be respected, and still have the means to enforce that influence. And so, because he might have been a self-made man, who knows? Who would go about bragging and say, I have accomplished this. If we were to bring it down to ourselves... Maybe someone has a natural talent. A natural talent. Says, I have accomplished because I am good. And sometimes we begin to compare ourselves. I'm better than you because I'm good. Do you know where I've gotten to? Do you know who I am? He had gotten to the point where not only had he earned status, he had the ability to prove what he had earned. 
And so he says, what good thing can I do? Then Jesus responds and says, why do you call me good? Why? Is it because of the things that I've done? How do you define good? In fact, what is good? But Jesus did not leave him hanging. He says, no one is good but one. That is God. In other words, if you are going to bring forth a definition of good, if you are going to bring forth something that explains what good is, you look at the one who is good, and that person is God. So your frame of reference, your yardstick, your measuring rod, is only going to be tied to the one who is himself good. But because Jesus is loving, he answered his question. If you want to earn it, take the law. And so, Jesus says in verse 17, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you go through the Gospels, if you go through the Gospels, there was another place where Jesus was teaching. And he said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But if you say to your brother, Raka, you have committed murder in your heart. So when he says you have not committed, you shall not commit murder, think about that. Just thinking about another person with anger and saying you fool. Because that's what Raka is, you fool. That is murder. He also said in that same place, you have, you have heard it taught. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you just look at a woman and lost after her, uh, if you look at a woman or man, because in this day and age, if you look at a woman or man and you have lost in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. So when we read the law and we bring in Jesus' definition of the law, and remember, Jesus is perfect. His, interpre his interpretation of the law is what God expects of the law. Remember, the law is not evil. The law is perfect. However, the law revealed our inabilities. And it came, the law came to show and to reveal the one who is perfect. And if you read, if you read the book of, um, if you read one of the epistles, it tells you that the law is for those who are lawless. That the law was not made for righteous people. So it is meant for the disobedient. The law. For the disobedient. But that was what he gave him as his answer. Because he was asking about how he could earn eternal life. But Jesus then goes further. He tells the man... If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. In other words, he was showing him a better and a more complete way. He says, if you want to be on a higher pedestal, if you want to get to the point where you are in a more complete state, follow me. So what Jesus was telling him was this. You are to lose your identity in your wealth because he was rich. To use his youth to serve him because he was young. To leave his earthly influence and authority because he was a ruler. Because all he needed was Jesus. The definition of goodness in a man. Once you see Jesus, you have seen God. Once you see what Jesus does, you have seen what God would do in a situation. Because Jesus does not steal, you know that God will never steal. Because Jesus did not call down fire, you know God will not call down fire. Remember that when he was walking with his disciples and they saw that they were rejecting Jesus, what did Jesus do? When the disciples were saying, we need to call down fire, those are, you know, the, the sons of thunder, we need to call down fire to destroy this nation. And then Jesus looks at them and says, you do not know what spirit you are of. We don't do that. The son of man has not come to do what? Destroy, but to what? Save. So wherever you see Jesus, you know what God does in the situation. Jesus always comes forth to show the goodness of God. That's why God is good. Whatever you see that is done that is good in the nature of the Father was accomplished in Jesus. That's why Jesus would come and say, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And I only say what I see my Father in heaven saying. The perfect representation of the Father. Jesus not only is the perfect representation of the Father, he is the perfect will of the Father. Because he was sent for salvation. Even in his name, we see him called the one who saves. Jehovah saves. So wherever we see him, we see God. Wherever we see him in action, we see the Father in action. Wherever we see him move, we see the Father move. So when we look at verse 17, at what the attribute of goodness is, we see that God in himself is a definition of goodness. God in himself is a definition of goodness. And whatever God says and does is good. When we go to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face, surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below, and the, below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And, the, and God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetations, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. Then the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a third day. We see here that God speaks a thing. And once it is established, once it begins to look, once it begins to possess the character in which it was sent, he says that it is good. You find out here that he always decrees after creation is established that it is good. You see here that once God sent forth his word, because it proceeds from him, everything that is encapsulated within his nature is wrapped around that word and begins to form that which it was sent to form. And once it is established, because it was sent from him, every character and attribute of that word becomes evident. So he replicates himself through his words. That's why you'd notice the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it says, as you are, so do you speak. Your words reflect who you are. Your words reflect who you are. Have you noticed that there are some people, when they enter into an environment, because of who they are, once they just open their mouths, that are, the, the environment twists, it changes. It changes. Why? Because the character of that person has, has been released through the words. Or you enter an environment and you be like, something has happened here. Why? Because the breath of that person through which that, those words were released have changed the atmosphere of that environment. That's why Jesus would come and say that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Everywhere you see the word spirit, recognize that that word in most languages means breath. The word spirit in the Old Testament means breath. The word spirit in the New Testament means breath. So when we say the spirit of God, we're talking about the breath of God. When Jesus came and met the disciples, uh, when, after he had risen up from the dead, he came to them and he said, he laid his hands on each of the disciples and he breathed on them and then told them, receive the Holy Spirit. So the breath of God is the Holy Spirit. So when we say we are filled with the spirit of God, you are actually saying you are filled with the breath of God. The breath of the almighty overwhelms you and flows through your veins. That is the goodness of God. That he will give you that which makes him God and release it into you. The very breath that is within him that he breathed upon Adam when he came and rose up from the dead. To show that we truly are new creatures. He breathed that breath upon us. You always find out in the scriptures that wherever you see creation, it is a mixture of the breath of God and the word of God. A mixture of the breath of God and the word of God. So even man is the mixture, the product of the breath of God and the word of God. You and I, we are the product 
of the breath of God and of the word of God. And because he has breathed and spoken into our lives, we replicate that very same nature of who he is. His goodness, his love, his mercy, everything poured out on us through his word and his breath. That's why we say that man was created good. But the moment he rejected the word of God, the moment he believed an angel over, over God, sin was created. There was a swap of authority. There was a change in nature. The nature that has the mixture of both good and evil in it. Good that looks like evil and evil that looks like good. It was very indistinguishable. The nature of God, the nature of God was rejected for a, a nature of duality. Good will be done, but evil was intended. Evil was done, but giving us good. That's why Jesus was talking to him and saying, you do not know what good is. The definition of good is beyond you because you are in a falling state. There is only one that is good and he defines goodness. So man's understanding of what good was, was lost. And because whatever God does is good, the new creation man in his default original state is good. Whatever proceeds from that new creation man is good. So we understand that the new creation man is holy. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It was a call, a call, a call that has occurred. You have been plucked out of darkness and you dwell in his marvelous light. Not only do you dwell in his marvelous light, you are a generator of that marvelous light. Wherever you go, once you step into a new environment, because God dwells in you, that marvelous light begins to illuminate that surrounding. Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. And I read. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy an empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. You see that? He said that in him, you have been made complete. He's, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. 
So if you want to see the fullness of the Godhead, you see Jesus. He is a perfect replica of the fullness of the Godhead. But then he now says that we are also whole in him. We are also fully complete in him. In other words, you and I do not have a part of Jesus. You and I have the fullness of all that he is. Just as when you take a seed, a seed from a fruit, and you plant it, you don't, although um, in this generation, uh, take away biology and genetics. Just take it away from what I'm about to say because <laughs> that might be possible. But when you take a seed and you plant it in the ground, you do not say that I am, I, I am expecting that that seed, if it's an orange fruit, it looks like an apple, but it would have characteristics of a pineapple. <laughs> you don't expect that to happen. When you take that seed, you do not say, Okay, part of it would actually be an apple and part of it would be an orange. No. You expect that the fruit which generated that seed, everything that would make that fruit would be in that seed. And once it is planted in the ground, it would produce the original fruit from which the seed came from. And so Jesus said that a corn of wheat will not grow unless it is first planted in the ground and dies. But the expectation is that once, once that seed dies and grows, it becomes an exact replica of the fruits that generated that seed. And that is what we are. Exact replicas. He said, ah... Oh, Simon by Jonah, it is not flesh that has revealed this unto you, but the Spirit of God. And upon this revelation shall my church be built that Jesus is the Christ. So you and I are fully complete in Him. Fully complete in Him. It is not something you pray for. When you are praying, and you see that in the epistles, especially Ephesians chapter 1 verse, from verses 19, it always, 17 to 19, it will always tell you that we are to pray to have a revelation of what we have received. I don't know what we have fully received. But I do know something. That the more I keep praying, the more the Lord will keep opening my eyes to see. The more we keep praying, the more the Lord will keep opening our eyes to see. Second Corinthians chapter 6 from verses 14 to 16. You see, and I say this to encourage some, someone because I know I've been in that boat for a very long time. Have you ever been in that situation? Where you are being taught and then someone comes and begins to tell you all the visions they have seen. How do you feel when, if you haven't seen any at all? How do you feel? You feel you have, not, you have not become a Christian. You feel like you haven't grown. You feel you haven't done anything. You'll be like, God, but why now? I have served you. Why don't I know anything? 
Or someone comes and tells you that they are hearing the voice of God and then you'll be like, but father, I got born again before him. <laughs> What's going on? And so you begin to feel intimidated. I'd like to encourage someone here. The fact that you don't experience anything doesn't make you any less a Christian. Even the scriptures actually say that you should be wary about people who always come and brag about those things. It says they are vainly puffed up because of the visions they have seen. You see, even Paul, Paul saw visions, but he never spoke about them. He did not teach it as drug doctrine. The only time we even hear him saying anything about it, he said, I know a man. It's just theologians that think and say that he must be thinking, talking about himself. But he never bragged. And his confidence was never in those things. But he would always bring forth doctrine. He would always bring forth. Because doctrine is what will make you stand when you are facing trials. It is doctrine that will make you stand when things are going haywire. You don't remember the things that you saw in a vision or in a dream. You remember what Christ has done. You remember his word. That's why he said, if you stay in me and allow my words to dwell in you, allow my words to dwell in you, you shall ask a thing and it will be done. But he said, you must allow my words to dwell in you. From verses 14 to 16, Colossians chapter 2. He says, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, sorry, thank you very much. It shows you are attentive. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verses 14 to 16. He says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? We see here that God is saying that the believer is righteousness and the unbeliever is lawlessness. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? He says, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. But we see here that he was making a promise in the Old Testament. We see here that he was decreeing of something that had already been accomplished when Christ died and rose again. So you are now the living temple of God. God dwells in you. And in you is the complete fullness of the goodness of God. Poured out and lavished upon you. So that you might do likewise as he would do. So that it will not just be Jesus that will say, as I see my father in heaven doing. But you too would say, as I have seen in the word concerning Jesus, I also do. Number three. Actually, number four. Everything God gives is good. Everything God gives is good. Matthew chapter 7 verses 11. Matthew chapter 7 verse 11. 
He says this, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? If you, being evil, remember, okay, I didn't say it here. There is a principle of interpretation when it comes to Bible study. You do not just take the scripture and read as if every single thing there was talking to you. And you see, you'd make notice that some pastors, jovially, they will say that um, if you were to do that, you can misinterpret the scripture. Because, you know, it says, Judas went out and hung himself. And then in another scripture, it says, go and do likewise. And then we all do likewise because it's written there. But that, that's what they say, just to make fun of the fact that we must recognize the intended audience when studying the scripture. You realize here that this was the Gospels. Jesus had not yet died. No one was born again. So when he said, you being evil, he was talking to an unregenerate people. So you are not evil. But what I'm trying to bring out here is what he says about the fact about good gifts. How much more would the Father who is in heaven Give what is good to those that ask him. When God gives, he gives liberally. He gives liberally. He doesn't look at you and what you have done. In fact, if you come to him with what you have done, he sends you packing. Jesus spoke about two men that came to pray. And one came and said, Father, I fast. Now I give my tithe. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a good man. Father, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And then there was another man who came and was saying, Father, have mercy upon me. I am not righteous. I am not able. I can't do this thing. Then Jesus asked, which among them returned justified? And then they said it was the one who came pleading and asking for mercy. Mercy always triumphs against judgment. Mercy always triumphs against judgment. He said that he prefers obedience, a contrite heart over sacrifice. And remember, be careful what you listen to and who you listen to. You can come into the presence of God and be saying, oh, Father, I deserve this. I de-. There was a day I was doing, because you know, you, have, you, have, you don't know, you don't know, you don't, you don't know. When you don't know, you don't know. And then I'm saying, Father, but I pay my tithe. I and then I, all I heard was shut up. And then when I kept quiet, I, I just remembered that scripture. You don't go before the Father and demand because of what you have done. You go before the Father because he is good. How many of us would like it if our children came to him, Daddy, I, I cleaned up. I cleaned up. Can you buy me ice cream? You just what's what's wrong with you? Must you clean up before I remember that I'm good to you? If we, in our state, know right from wrong in that scenario, do we think our Father will not be generous to us? He is a liberal God that gives liberally without finding fault. That's what James said. And anytime James talks about God, I listen closely. 
I listen closely because he lived with him for at least some 30 years. The liberal God that gives liberally without finding fault. How many of us remember the wedding at Cana? The wedding at Cana. <laughs> they go there. They are at the wedding. Then Jesus' mother sees that the wine has finished. And then she tells them, go and meet him. Jesus said, woman, what have I got to do with you? Don't you know that my time has not yet come? This is God in a man saying that his time for revelation has not yet come. What does he do? He still answers their plea for wine. Even when it was not yet time for his revelation, he still answered their plea for wine. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Number five. God's goodness does not depend on others. He causes the rain to fall on the good and on the bad. God's goodness does not depend on you. It does not depend on me. It is who he is. It is who he is. You see, in the garden, Adam sins, begins to clothe himself with fig leaves. But what does God do? God does not just say, come on, take that thing away. Or God does not even make him to be ashamed of his state. Rather, God gives him a better clothing that would have covered him from the elements, from cold. He gave him sheepskin to cover him, to cover his nakedness. It is very important that we see the liberality of God in his goodness. We are meant to understand that anytime we attempt to cover ourselves, Anytime we attempt to cover ourselves, we are stepping out of the place of God's goodness and using the flesh as a veil. And so when Jesus tells us that God is good and liberal without finding fault, he still comes and he also makes us to understand that whatever we do must be done out of the goodness of God within the believer. Let's open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. From verses 38 to 48. Matthew chapter 5 from verses 38 to 48. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, 
turn the other to him also. We slap our father every time we go against his word. But yet, he keeps turning the other cheek. When he was on the road of Gethsemane, and soldiers were slapping him, spitting on him, mocking him, he kept turning the right cheek, turning the other cheek. Why? Because God will not expect from you what he doesn't expect from himself. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, this was an indictment on Moses. Moses said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If anyone comes against you, give it back to him with a vengeance. But here he's saying, don't do that. Be a person of love. Express the goodness of God wherever you go. And you see, that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, I was having a conversation with my brother. And he was saying that he heard over the weekend that the Old Testament is actually a symbol of an old wineskin. You remember when Jesus was saying, do not pour new wine into old wineskin. If not, it would burst. In other words, the Old Testament is old wineskin. And when you begin to pour that which Jesus has done into the old wineskin, it cannot survive. It would burst. The two are incompatible. The two are incompatible. Wherever you see mixture, it is most likely it is not God. I repeat it again. Wherever you see mixture, it is most likely it is not God. And that was why the Old Testament in the law was always trying to teach the people to recognize it. And so Moses would say that you do not plant a you do not uh, you do not wear a coat of diverse colors, or you do not plant in a field two different crops. He would say you do not sow, you do not mix clothes, wool and uh, and cotton. He was always trying to get their eyes on mixture, so that mixture would not be the place of the believer. Even the fall in the, in the garden, it was mixture. Good and evil. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The goodness of God must not be dependent on what others do. But it must come from the new nature 
Remember pastor's definition. Good, he said, the nature of God that carries God's treasures, which he reveals in the believer. That nature, you carry everything that is called God within you. Remember, you have the fullness of God. In him, you are complete and in him, you are whole. So that nature is fully complete in you. And you release it everywhere you go. And my prayer is this. That wherever we go, we shall consistently release and reveal the nature of God. Even in any environment that we find, in every relationship, in every interaction. That it will be the nature of God's goodness that will be released and that will be encountered. That Jesus might be glorified even in the heart of the believer. Amen. May we rise up on our feet even as we share a brief word of prayer.